Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is the Other Life Podcast, where I talk with indie creators, digital hustlers, and unique internet personalities about how to escape from institutional conformity and succeed on the internet instead. To learn more about the Other Life Project, go to otherlife.co. That's otherlife.co. And if you like what I'm doing, I just have one quick favor to ask. Please go and just leave a review in iTunes. It really helps others find the show, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and a big shout out, especially to my patrons. I could not do this without you all. So thanks. And now, on to the show. I never expected or intended for this podcast to be so much a function of what I write about on Twitter. But it just so happens that I wrote a tweet thread that got a ton of attention. And although it's not about religion per se, some of it definitely has to do with religion. So it's at the top of my mind. And it's a natural thing to discuss a little bit on here. It's all about marriage and my own experience and certain observations I've had over the years, specifically about how I think many millennials waste a lot of time in long-term dating relationships where they would be much happier and have much more fulfilling lives if they understood what marriage really was and had the right mentality to embrace it and take the plunge. I think there are a lot of people out there suffering in a kind of purgatory with their partner. And I guess I have a few theories on where people go wrong in their mentality. And for me, I've been just blown away by how insane marriage is as a kind of mechanism, as a transformer of life itself. So that was the purpose of my thread to just try to share that a little bit. And I will use today's podcast as an opportunity to expand on some of the points in that thread. If you know of anyone who maybe has been dating someone for a long time and they have a pretty good relationship and they probably should be married, but for some reason they're not, maybe you think this podcast could be interesting to them or helpful for them. So you should go send it to them. I would really appreciate that. If Twitter is an any indication, a ton of people were like, this is so important. And I so agree. And that kind of thing. So yeah, that's why I want to expand on it in the hopes that it's helpful for even more people in a more convenient and expanded audio form. All right, so let's do this. So basically, I feel that I was very blessed by an accidental circumstance of my life, which is that when I got my job in England, I was only dating my girlfriend at the time for about a year. We definitely were serious. I definitely remember feeling already that this was probably the best relationship I ever had. Or no, not even that technically, because it was bumpy. It was rocky. It wasn't by any means an ideal relationship, but I just loved her. And at the time, I guess I could see how the bumpiness of our relationship was not essential to her character. There was something or maybe a few things that I could see in her that I just really liked and identified with. And I just saw those things and saw through the various things that caused some conflict and crappiness between us in the first year. In any event, I just felt like I loved her. And I was pretty confident that I would do my best to make this the last relationship I would ever be in romantically. And the problem is that people our age, at the time she was 23 and I was 27, 
people at that age who are educated, who live in big cities, just don't get married, no matter how in love they are. And there are many reasons for that, which we'll unpack. But I want to admit that we never would have gotten married if it was not for an accidental circumstance that forced us to get married. I'm not saying we never would have gotten married ever. I'm saying we definitely would not have gotten married at that time. We would have postponed it for who knows how long, just because that's what people our age do in our kind of demographic class. You postpone it as long as you can. And for us, the circumstance was when I got the job in England, it was a great opportunity. I was super excited, super lucky to get it. And at first we tried to move to England together on what's called an unmarried partner visa. Turns out those are actually very hard to get. Our first application was rejected. And so we had to decide, are we serious? Like how at the time we treated each other as if it was serious, but this was really like forcing us to put our money where our mouth was. And actually I kind of literally, because now that I think back to it, since our first application for the visa was rejected, the second time around, we had to be super careful to get it right because you can potentially lose the right altogether if too many applications are rejected. So for the second time, we had to get a lawyer. That is, once we decided that we wanted to really go all in on each other, we got a lawyer and it was super expensive. But that's a bit of a tangent. The point is just we really had to decide, were we truly in love or all those times we said we love each other? Was that really just make-believe or pretend. And I feel incredibly blessed that this circumstance, although at the time it was extremely stressful, extremely scary and unsettling. In retrospect, it was an absolute blessing. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I know that we just wouldn't be the types of people to have gotten married otherwise, maybe five years later, six years later. But since I got married seven years ago, this was back in 2014, 2013, the adventure of life that I've been on with this one other person is just insanely deeper and richer and not always for the best. Like we've had seriously hard, painful times, some very unhappy times for all kinds of different reasons. But I would so much rather have painful, hard times here and there with one person on this unique, deeply shared bonding adventure than just be like sharing an apartment with a girlfriend. And yeah, we say we love we love each other and we sleep together, but both of us are always wondering if the other is going to leave, if they encounter someone better or something like that. But yeah, I feel like I was really lucky for that. And by the way, we had to decide whether or not we wanted to get married while I was in England and my wife was in the United States because I had to get over to England to start the job pretty quick and visa applications take some time. So we actually got her rejection letter like two weeks before... I needed to go to England. Imagine how stressful that was. We were basically like, okay, I said to her, I got to go, but we'll figure this out. We'll talk and we'll think and we'll figure this out. And so we basically had to discuss over the phone, do we want to get married? And you all know me by now. I'm super serious about this kind of thing. I told her on the phone, like, if we're getting married, we are staying together forever. At least that's how I see it. Obviously, if she ever wanted to initiate a divorce, like that's on her. She'd be free to do that. I wouldn't stop her. But I told her like the way I see it is I don't see divorce as an option and I never will. And so this was not like a, hey, let's just get married because so then we can stay together. Wink, of course, we can both exit anytime we want. No, I made it super clear at the time. I said, please don't do this with me if you don't share this kind of gravitas. And yeah, so we talked it out. Man, that time was so crazy thinking back to it now that I'm talking about it. 
I should probably go over the text messages from that time. Wow. I don't, I don't think I could handle it. I would be choked up real bad. I'm almost, yeah, I'm, it almost gives me anxiety thinking about going back through those text messages. That time was just so tense and I was so scared. I was really scared, but I don't know. I just had a feeling that this was the woman I wanted. And one of the reasons I'm talking about this or sharing my experiences is because at the time it definitely felt like I was maybe making a huge mistake. I'm sure for her also, it must've felt like maybe she was making a huge mistake getting married to someone she only knew for a year and moving to England with him. And so I really do relate to people my age or a little bit younger who have been dating someone and they love them, but they just aren't sure if it's right. And it feels just irrational to get married because there's so much potential downside. There's so much that can go wrong and it's super scary. So that's why I'm talking about this because I had the benefit of this forcing function that made us take the plunge. And many people don't have that. So let me break down in more detail what has been so remarkable to me about just the phenomenon of marriage as a kind of transformative mechanism. First of all, that's something that people need to understand in its own right. It's not just this lifestyle decision. Oh, what city do I want to live in? What profession do I want? Do I want to be married or do I not want to be married? No, it's not just this question of personal preference and what is best for you or it's a process. It's a thing that you enter into and which, if you do it right, changes the fabric of the universe insofar as you are participating in it. And I would say that if you're married and you don't feel that on some level, if you don't feel it to be this kind of irreversible, objective transformation process that is really beyond your control in some way, then I would contend that such a person is perhaps not really married. And I think there are a lot of people who are technically married who are not really married. And I think one of the most telltale symptoms of that is when people say things like, oh, it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't really make a difference. We could always separate or get divorced if we wanted to. Like, no, you really can't think or talk like that ever if you want to really get married. If you really want to benefit from the insanely powerful and beautiful mechanism that the marriage bond is, you have to see it as absolutely irreversible. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I've become such a huge fan of it is because I, as I said before, I've always naturally seen it that way as a kind of absolute commitment. And I've always taken that seriously. So I think that makes me benefit more from it and really appreciate the power of the process more, perhaps. The way I always think about it, and this is a metaphor that has been in my mind since the early days of getting married. Like I've said this to myself. I've probably even said it to Aria a few times. I don't know where I got it from exactly, but I think of marriage as a ship. And I think of getting married as tying yourself to the ship. To me, that just really reflects the essence of it. From now on, forever, no matter what, till death do your part, you are on a ship with this one other person and you are out on a vast open sea. There's no land in sight anywhere. And it's just you two. And there's no getting off. You're tied to it. And you just have to steer it. And on some level, that's all there is to it. But the crucial part is being tied to it. If you're telling yourself like, oh, if you know, I'm unhappy, then I could just find someone else. Or if you allow even an ounce of that into your mentality, then it's probably not going to work out. Because here's the thing. 
there are going to be periods where it sucks, where you're both miserable and maybe you hate each other because you have shit that you have to work out because people are messed up and most of us are. And so if you have the attitude that you can step out whenever things, if things were to get bad, then you almost certainly will because things will get bad. And the magic of tying your hands, the reason this is like a real mechanism that's powerful, and this is why divorce traditionally is seriously prohibited and really stigmatized, is because if people genuinely have the mentality that there is no exit, then what happens is together you are able to get through and over certain rough patches. And when you defeat extremely challenging existential threats, where you have feelings where you're like, I can't do this. I really can't do this. I have to leave. And neither of you leave. <laughs> That's what's transformative. You come out the other side and you're like, oh, I'm tougher than I thought. But more specifically, we are tougher than I thought. And also, wow, she must really love me or he must really love me. And oh, wow, this person must be really special to me because I was able to endure this period of misery, this short-term stretch of confusion and miscommunication and unhealthy coping and this and that. Like when you fight through and you don't leave each other, the world that you're actually living in becomes a slightly different world, a deeper world. And the bond becomes unlike any bond you'll ever have. And it becomes priceless and just incomparable. And you might be wondering, what does this have to do with religion? Here's the thing. Everything I'm describing, at the end of it, as you defeat trials and tribulations, it's incredibly worth it. But before you embark on this process, before you go through the mechanism that matrimony is, everything I'm describing just sounds like hell, just sounds like annoyance and pain and difficulty and huge risk. So here's the thing. On some level, it's never really rational to get married. If rationality is the end-all be-all of your attitude and mentality, of course you're going to postpone getting married until some kind of forcing function happens. I was just lucky that the forcing function came relatively early for my generation. So I'm not above this because I wasn't particularly religious when we got married. Although, frankly, I guess part of the reason why we were able to take the plunge before, or rather in a context when many other people probably would not have taken the plunge, I think many people in our situation would have chosen to just go separate ways is because we were, and probably always have been, somewhat religiously inclined individuals, just temperamentally, even if we weren't very formally religious at all at the time. And so what I'm driving at is that marriage is essentially irrational on some level, and that's why educated, intelligent, ambitious, cosmopolitan young adults postpone doing it as long as they can. And really, it's the same reason why religiosity is decreasing. It's because we have lost the capacity for faith. To get married, you have to have faith that it will be good. And to stay married, you have to have faith that it's good and true. You have to have faith that the person will come through for you on the other in the long run. And if you can't have that faith, if you if you don't believe in faith, if, if you reject faith altogether, then you're never going to take the chance on someone. And if you do, you're never going to stay with them because there are going to be periods where it is absolutely rational for you to exit the relationship. And this lack of faith is going to make you lose out on entire dimensions of life that you won't even know exist. But again, you only get those dimensions if you're truly all in and you truly tie yourself to the ship and you re you refuse to see divorce as an option. Now, it gets complicated here because as someone on Twitter said to me, 
What about extremely bad relationships? What about marriages where there's sustained physical abuse or even just sustained emotional abuse? And what I would say to this is that if a person in a marriage reaches a breaking point and they have to leave or divorce, then that's on them. And I'm not going to judge them for that. I'm not going to shame them for that. But you can also insist that if you're going to get married, you should go into it with the attitude that divorce is completely off the table. But then also admit that if it, that sometimes it happens and I don't know if it happens. So this is what really confuses people because you need to both insist it's not an option and you do want to stigmatize it a bit. But then if a situation gets so bad that it's the choice that someone makes, then you also have to admit, okay, they know best and that must have been what they had to do. Without necessarily, you don't have to condone it or cheerlead for it, but you, with, without condemning it either. Because here's the thing, and no one really wants to talk about this and because it's very difficult to talk about. Even in bad relationships where one person is really being bad to the other, in the suffering that is endured by the person being hurt, there is a meaning. For some people, that can be a worthwhile exercise. And this is a very Christian teaching, and but I think it's super real and it's super important. It's like someone who is suffering through a bad marriage and refuses to get divorced because they believe in the person who's hurting them. In that belief and in the endurance of that suffering, it's an external bystander cannot say with any confidence whether or not that trial is appropriate for that person at that time, the person suffering. Because everyone does have a cross to bear. And life is this weird game where you're never going to escape having some kind of cross to bear. And certain crosses can make someone who they are, in a way. Deleuze actually writes about this. At some point, he says something to the effect of, I believe the line is, he says, my wound came before me. And he's not explicitly a Christian by any means, but he does have some Christian influences, as I talk about in my book, Based Deleuze. And this idea that suffering is not always something to, to minimize. You don't want to glorify senseless suffering or force people to remain trapped in suffering that they don't want to remain trapped in. I'm just saying that sometimes we do choose to undergo suffering because that suffering has a meaning for us or we feel called to endure it or in, in a way that voluntary suf suffering, the voluntary endurance of a certain kind of suffering expands us in a way. It deepens us in a way. And so the critique of kind of cr Christian traditional marriage norms about stigmatizing abuse and all of that. The critique is that this can keep women, for instance, trapped in physically abusive relationships and makes them make it can make them feel that they shouldn't divorce. And I don't have a hard line here, I, but I'm just trying to basically explicate how this is not a no brainer. It's complicated and confusing because if you see a Christian woman in a relationship where she's being abused physically by a man repeatedly, and she insists on staying with him and believing that he can be better and that he'll stop it and they can fix it or whatever. On the one hand, as an outsider, it's obvious, okay, this is toxic. This woman should get out. You should tell her everything you can to help her get out. And her getting out is the obvious good thing to do. That's what kind of rational atheist people see it as. And I totally get it. But then there is this weird, darker aspect to life where the fact of the matter is we don't know what that suffering means for that woman. And man, it's just tough. And I think traditional norms around divorce make a lot of sense in that 
a woman who's truly in a bad situation usually can get out in one way or another, but there are these big costs put in the way just to ensure that if someone is going to get out, then it's really going to be for a good reason if they're willing to bite the costs. That's how I see it anyway. And so it's good to maintain those costs. It's good to say that divorce is strict and it's absolute and it is really sad and a negative thing to ever observe a divorce. And yet also acknowledge that sometimes that will be the choice of people. Actually, Zizek is very good on this, who Zizek channels Lacan. And what they say is basically that divorce doesn't really annul the marriage or reverse or delete the marriage, which would be bad. But rather, divorce is a kind of agreement that the two people were never really married to begin with. And I like that a lot. That makes a lot of sense to me because that lets you allow, that allows you to affirm marriage as this absolute eternal commitment that's irreversible and also admit that sometimes people have to exit. But if they need to exit, if they need to go through the highly discouraged and stigmatized process of divorce, then that is proof that they were never actually married, in which case it's not a betrayal or a violation of the matrimonial bond or the matrimonial promise. So I think that's pretty clever and I like that. Anyway, I also think there are a bunch of mundane kind of instrumental benefits to marriage, which I think are often underappreciated. Like I'm personally of the opinion that one of the reasons why there's so much intellectual conformity in young adult social life today, you know, why people mimic the same ideas and on the left, this means escalating mimetic rivalry to be more and more woke than the next person, everyone falling over themselves to use the same terms, but more impressively. One of the reasons for this is because when you're dating to win the acceptance of a desirable partner, you need to be able to say things to them that are impressive and that reflect high status opinions. And so when you have all of these young adults who are postponing marriage and they have one foot in the relationship, but they're holding on to that one foot out of the relationship, and then you just have a bunch of single people also later in life than usual you just have a lot of people who are really concerned about impressing the other people around them to protect their potential mating opportunities. Because what I found in my experience is that once I got married, I was able to enter onto a new plane of, of really personal, unique, original thinking. And because I didn't have to, you know, constantly rehearse impressive opinions that desirable women found to be the high status ones. People underestimate how incredibly just mentally limiting and oppressive it is to be on the dating market. And when you get married, you exit that altogether. And if you have a good marriage and you're both doing it right, then all of a sudden you can start thinking about crazy things and weird things. And it doesn't have to make sense to people. And maybe it's even a little sounds weird to people or naughty to people, whatever. And and that's where true intellectual life takes place and develops. Yeah, I think that's really underappreciated benefit of getting married. And yeah, I could say a few more things, but I think this has been a good length of time. The other aspects of marriage that I talk about in my writings, and which I'll probably just do another podcast on, has to do with the reasons why people don't get married sooner. As I said, one, I think is just people lacking the capacity for faith, and faith is required to do it. But I think there are also some other observations to be made about people having unreasonable standards and wanting or expecting something for marriage that is not what they should be wanting or expecting. 
So those are some other topics I'd like to talk about at some other time. Maybe I'll do another podcast on those. For now, I think I'll wrap this one up. If you have any questions or comments on this or you want to chat about it, just go to otherlife.co slash contact, or you can message me on Twitter or whatever, wherever you can find me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, you should send it to a friend. Just email it to them or post it on your social networks, whatever. And to learn more about what we discussed in this podcast or to send me questions to address in future episodes, please just go to otherlife.co and you'll find everything there. There's actually a ton of cool stuff on there. So check it out if you haven't already. Thanks again, folks. See you here next time.